Far too many female advisors have spent years adapting to a business model designed for men, which often undermines their strengths as women. Not anymore. Welcome to the Femex Advisor Podcast, a show designed to empower female financial advisors to fearlessly embrace their authentic selves. Adri Miller Heckman, founder of Femex Advisor, will inspire and empower women to leverage their natural strengths as women and create a more successful practice that feels effortless. Follow along for female-driven inspirational and motivational strategies to help you create the extraordinary life you have always wanted. Now, onto the show. Well, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Adria Miller Heckman, your host and founder of FemexAdvisor.com, where women advisors fearlessly embrace their authentic selves. You know, sometimes in life, you meet a really smart woman, a woman who, no matter what they attempt, they are successful. But being smart doesn't mean you don't have challenges in life or need to overcome your fears. Today, you're going to meet a very smart woman, Michelle Kaufman. After graduating from MIT, she rose up the ranks of Wall Street. She was a trader at Credit Suisse, traveled cross-country in her role with Bloomberg, and through it all had four children. But it was just a few years ago that she made a huge shift in her career that took a lot of courage. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Michelle, thank you for taking time out today to share your story. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Adri. Let me just start with, come on, MIT, what drove you to be so successful in the first place? So, (laughs) while it seems obvious now that success means different things to different people, when I was younger, it was not like that at all. I thought the path was linear. It was well-defined. And I was really determined to prove my mettle. Not only was I born this high achiever who loved to plan and was always really competitive, but it was really more than that. I grew up in a pretty traditional community where women, they didn't have the visibility and they weren't in those positions of power. And that ticked me off. I I really wanted to show them. Whoever, Whoever them was, I was going to show them that I could do it. And I would say that, you know, while this drive served me well in a lot of situations, there were definitely times that I took it too far. I'll tell you an embarrassing story of my, during my first term at MIT, I hadn't decided my major yet. We were all in the thick of those discussions. What were we going to study? All of it. You know, there were a lot of students who dressed in their pajamas to class. They were really much more focused on the academics where I was usually pretty put together. And there was this one lunch in the cafeteria. And I remember this guy comes up to me. We were having a conversation with a group of my friends. And he says, you're majoring in finance, aren't you? And at MIT, that's a slight. That means that you couldn't hack it in engineering. (laughs) Um, So my instinct was, no, no, I'm not. I'm actually a materials engineering major. And that was the moment that I determined my major because some dude who I don't even know anymore (laughs) insulted me by calling me a finance major. And in retrospect, you know, I love finance. I ended up taking a bunch of classes in it and it's my life's work. And I wish that I'd had the courage to, to do what was right for me rather than you know standing up to them. But that was my drive. I think that's very common for most of us women. We kind of had to carve our own path. And with 
when we were always listening and still, still so many of us listen to what the industry says, which is simply protocol. It's not a rule. It's not the only way, but we still listen, right? Until one day we wake up. But what was interesting about what you said is that you grew up in such a traditional community, yet you took a very non-traditional path for women. I love that. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> so as you left MIT, you started in, I mean, not only did you start in the financial industry, which is traditionally male-driven, but you started on a very high testosterone path. Tell me about <laughs> what it was like at Credit Suisse, at Bloomberg, in more non-traditional paths yeah, so I would say the first thing, the stories you hear are true. <laughs> the trading floor is not <laughs> the easiest place to be a woman. And, and early on in my career, it was really tough in those high testosterone environments. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I often felt ignored and alone. And I knew that to succeed, I'd have to work harder and smarter. I'll tell you a funny story. When I started on the trading floor at Credit Suisse, there's this email that comes into my inbox from my boss's boss. And I've never met yet my grand boss, Simon, who is in London. And it says, hi, gents and Michelle. And I literally, like my heart stopped. I'm like, oh God, what did I do? What's going on? But it just, that was the new normal. They had 90 people globally between London and New York and Singapore, and they'd never had a woman on the trading floor before. So he had to shift from high gents, you know, and, and that was a more benign story. A lot of the crude comments are not PG, so I'm not going to repeat them here, but, you know, we'll have some fun stories to talk about another time. But I would say when I got pregnant, life got even harder. My own manager commented to me on my first, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, he said, it was nice knowing you, you're never coming back after maternity leave. Oh, yeah, he said that. So I had to show him. But even when I wasn't expecting, it seemed like the men didn't know what to say to me anymore. And they would ask how my baby was, like long after my daughter was a baby. And I was kind of itching to resume these previous discussions of financial markets and trading strategies, but I just wasn't perceived the same way after motherhood. So that was like early on the career. But I would say that my career and I kind of matured and evolved. And definitely when I was finished having children, being the rare woman in the room started to feel like less of a liability. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was a financial planner at the large broker-dealer, there were a lot of female clients who wanted to change advisors, and most often to women. And since I was the only woman in the branch most of the time, you know that was often me. And this was called an, it was like an escalation. So a lot of the male advisors, when they were trying to prepare me for the first meeting with you know whoever it was, like, oh, she's really crazy. This is like, sorry that you have to take this on. This is going to be crazy. And they spoke disparagingly of these women. More often than not, they, they were wonderful people who had just never felt heard. One of them who was part of a couple, she said the advisor had actually never even reached out to her, even though she had way more assets. <laughs> he would only talk to the husband and that working with me was, was a breath of fresh air. You know, I remember when I was in production and I was so focused on women and everybody in the branch knew it. And I got so many referrals from other advisors in the branch. And it's exactly that. They would say, I've got this woman, I can't work with her. And they transit, and it didn't matter the asset size. And then they transfer into me, and we had a fabulous relationship, right? Yeah, it was like I didn't even need those preparing conversations. No. They just weren't. So yeah. it's interesting because every woman I speak to has 
um, a number of defining moments in her career, right? Defining moments, a couple of the stories, they're small defining moments that move you ahead, right? Even the job changes that you had, the environment you were in, they're defining moments. But there comes a time for all of us when we're forced to really step out of our comfort zone and make some decisions that we know in our heart is the right thing to do, but the protocol says otherwise, right? What was that for you? So I would say <laughs> life definitely has a different trajectory for me than all of my best laid plans. And I've learned that a few times now <laughs> the hard way. I would say life kind of happens to you and it happens around you. So real defining moment for me was when I felt like life punched me in the face after my my last child was born. I suffered in a really severe medical complication and it required hospitalization for several weeks and there was extensive recovery time. It put me on long-term disability for months. I was brought to my knees. I really there was a point where I was on IV because I couldn't feed myself. It was no fun. And you had and you had three children. Well this was the home. fourth. So it was it was yeah. wild. Yeah. So um, you know, so but as I recuperated, I met a lot of other women and men whose lives were also interrupted in a similar way. And away from the typical pressures of, you know, work and home life, people really opened up and they shared painful stories and all sorts. The things I heard were really incredible. And it was kind of during this pause that I realized how fascinating it is for me to dig under the hood and connect with people in such a deep, powerful way. So I, I kind of took that moment as a decision point where I decided to parlay my extensive experience in markets and finance into a career where I could really help people improve their lives over a long-term and a close relationship. So it's interesting because you are an independent financial advisor. You have your Prioritas website and business, but you never thought or dreamed. It wasn't like I dreamed of being an entrepreneur and going into business. No, it definitely wasn't. You know, And there were multiple points. So even after I'd made that decision to go into managing wealth, I went to a really large broker dealer. And that transition was a steep learning curve that I loved every step of. I really didn't expect... There was never a plan to go independent. I was love, loving meeting with clients and helping them navigate their life transition. I was getting great feedback. I had the top net promoter scores and clients were saying I was really improving their life. Then things I started to pick up on a shift where I was I loved part of the financial planning that I love was thinking about the client's career potential and their company compensation. And partly because of my background and partly because of ongoing education, I became the expert of the branch on this. So I spent a lot of time assisting clients with their career negotiations and equity compensation. And on the one hand, I was encouraged because these were really high caliber clients. But on the other hand, I was severely discouraged because it's a very time-intensive, multi-step process. And it's a sheer amount of time doesn't lend itself well to the number of clients I had. And that's a few years into that, life kind of stepped in and happened again, which is kind of what forced me to pivot and even think about going independent. You know what I think is absolutely fascinating? And I believe this 100%. I believe that everything we experience in our lives is leading us 
on this path and it's building our wisdom chest, it's building our experience chest, our toolbox becomes more full and each experience leads us to this next place. But if you're very open-minded and thoughtful and intentional with everything you do, how did that play a role in leading you through your career path and making changes? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think this is the kind of that next defining moment where life kind of happened to us. And you know, I never ever would have predicted COVID, but it really it changed the world so quickly and in so many ways. And I would say that, you know, as a financial advisor pre-COVID, the work was demanding, but the cadence was manageable. And that thoroughly changed. Going into March of 2020, I had about 250 client households who were engaged in meeting with me at least once a year. And then there were probably as many as those who had my name on their statements and there wasn't a relationship. But then COVID <laughs> just, you know, strikes and clients were losing their jobs, their income on mass, the market's cratering, there's real health issues. And people are coming out of the woodwork. They want protection. They want to know that their path is assured. How do they manage all these changes? I had two clients who passed away in March and uh, from COVID-related illnesses. And then I had a lot more who had parents or siblings who were getting sick or passing away. I felt like I was working around the clock, but no matter how hard I tried to help everyone, I was being reactive and I couldn't give all the effort that these situations demanded. And also it was just, it was so hard to keep track of that many people. I was afraid that I'd be spending time in a meeting, just trying to remember <laughs> who they were, their situation. And I'd be overly reliant on notes, just given the, the sheer quantity of meetings that I was having. I know from my work with you, you a big decision for you, and it was an inevitable decision because you couldn't do it any other way. You chose value over volume. Always. I will always choose value over volume. I know. <laughs> and even as you know, I started working with you and you launched your independent practice, and that was a huge learning curve for you because you had not been long as a financial advisor in a broker-dealer environment. So now you're actually stepping out and becoming an independent advisor, opening up a branch, doing everything yourself. That was huge, but you would never settle. You would never settle for anything that did not speak to you and really come from your heart and soul. Would you agree? No, for sure. And that that was actually when I was having a hard time keeping up with all the volume, I'd confided in this colleague of mine at the large firm. And I just said, he'd been there for decades. And I said, how do you do it? How do you... I felt so rushed. How do you prepare well for meetings? And he said, it was well-meaning advice, but he said, Michelle, you have to learn to wing it. With all the crush of the meetings and demands we have, you just can't prepare and you have to go with the flow. And you can imagine <laughs> to me, I'm hearing this. It, it, it's kind of like breaking the sacred trust of clients that were turning to us. This is their life savings. So we might be winging a meeting, but this is their whole life savings. And I just could not imagine doing that. So interesting. So many chefs, right? Talk about the pace of your life now versus five, five years ago. 
And how has it changed? It's changed in so many ways. It's hard to even <laughs> count them all. I would say the the ebb and flow is really different. Like one of my my mentors, he's a small business owner himself. And he'd said to me that one of the benefits of working for yourself is that you can eat when you're hungry and you can sleep when you're tired. There have been some really busy months in my practice when I was onboarding clients and I didn't want to focus on anything but the client experience. But then, you know, when the pressure is lessened for that, I can concentrate more on business development and marketing. So to a large degree, I now get to set the pace, which is really very nice. It's interesting. I was also writing down control versus intuition, right? And, you know, in many situations, and women are always told, oh, you're a control freak. Yeah, I'm a control freak. (laughs) And it's not a freak. I don't think it's a bad thing. You're absolutely right. It's not a bad thing, but it must be balanced. Like the control you have today is a very healthy control. Right. And part of that control is because you listened to your intuition and you allowed yourself to evolve over time. Where we get into real challenges is as women, when we try to control environments that are not suited to us. And that's where we get burnt out. We're not happy. Our our priorities get totally out of whack. And so I think that the most important message from this call, and we're not done yet, but it's listen to your soul, listen to your gut, let the experiences dictate where you need to go next, regardless of the path that others think you should be on. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, when you said about control, when you have a quota of having 22 appointments a week and you're seeing everyone that comes through the door, it, it's, you just can't have that quality client experience. And I do have very clear ideas about what I think is the right way to treat clients and the ideal practice. At its core, I do want to feel in control and I want to fully support and help the people who are relying on me. So necessitated going independent, but it definitely wasn't, you know, any long-standing, long-standing entrepreneurial dream or anything like that. In all the experiences that you've had, in all the successes, what one move or one decision was the scariest for you? I think that there's a lot, but, you know, I would say the the biggest fear I really had was moving to an independent firm because I hadn't done anything entrepreneurial before. And I really respected these big firms and these big names. I kind of prided myself on working for these Credit Suisse and Bloomberg. I, I respected the corporate culture they built over decades and not only that, it's not just the culture, it's they have these, this structure that's established. They've got clear metrics. There's all this you know, certainty and comfort. You kind of know what the progression is going to look like. And you have people and role models. You know, going out of my own luck. So I would say it's partly luck, but thankfully, my husband and I had planned very well. We didn't have to worry about the financial aspect as much. You know, 
that was something we made sure we established three years of expenses so that we wouldn't have to stress about the financial hit. And, and that's a degree of financial freedom that I'm so blessed and that I take with me when I think about clients who are you know, in a career decision or move. But the unknowns for me to start a business were just, <laughs> there were so many. I mean, how would I find the administrative support to give clients a great experience? What would I do about office space? How much oversight and accountability did I need? And how would I compliance since we're so heavily regulated? And even though I have a lot of integrity that changes all the time, how do I ma- manage that? You know, how do I deal with clients, potential clients who aren't the best fit, especially if they're referrals from clients that I love? And then I guess also just how do I filter? I have so many ideas, right? Like which ones do I move forward with? Which need some development? Which have to go to the the garbage bin. <laughs> so all of those were really, um, I was really nervous about, about making all those decisions. I remember when you reached out to me and you were at the broker dealer and you had a time frame, a short window for a variety of reasons that you needed to make a decision. And it was a big decision. And it really took I would say a vote of trust within yourself that you could do this. And even as we worked together and we were developing out, it didn't matter where I was leading you to, you still had to, you had to process everything we did to make sure it was in line with who you are. And that was so uniquely different and so important. So making that big step, it was scary. How did you do it? And what was the impact on you going forward? You know, I would say I left the big firm in the fall of 2020 and founded a fiduciary fee-only wealth management firm that I called Prioritas Financial Advisors. One little aside about the name, it comes from one of the books that's been most transformative in my life called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And in a nutshell, the book is telling you to cut away all the non-essentials so you can have the highest contribution in your life. And toward the beginning, he says the word priority came from the Latin prioritas, and it was singular. You could never have more than one and only first thing. So it's now been bastardized to have multiple priorities, but it was never intended to be that. So at at Prioritas Financial Advisors, the goal is to help clients cut through the noise, prioritize, and then go after their dream using their assets, which are both financial and career and human potential as the engine for growth. And sometimes like if my family is on a very hard hike, (laughs) my husband or one of my kids will call out Prioritas. (laughs) So it's become like a family battle cry. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I would say- Don't you- Go ahead. No, I was going to say it it wasn't an easy move, but I I was able to get a lot of support because one of my fantastic mentors, Steph Bruno, she ran a practice that I dreamed of running. She had a similar niche to mine. And she ended up introducing me to the registered investment advisor, the RIA Dynamic Wealth. And they partner with advisors and they provide all the compliance, the technology, the back office, investment management support, and other things. So even though I couldn't guarantee a book of business off the bat, they put their faith in me and supported me as I built the practice. I remember. I remember. Yeah. So that was huge because I was able to focus on just doing the planning work for clients and I didn't have to get bugged down and calling custodians or operations or paperwork. So even though 
you know, we do the investment strategy together. Once we have that set up, they're really doing the day-to-day as well. So having that support was fantastic. And then because of my arrangement with the broker-dealer, I couldn't reach out to any clients. But they, the dear ones to me reached out and found me through LinkedIn. And uh, in the winter of 2021, I, I was able to onboard quite a lot of them and get the practice up and running and really make those systems and put everything in place so that the experience would be fantastic. I remember when that window started to open and you were very clear I don't want to keep marketing because I don't want to be overwhelmed with business. You had some good business and you really wanted your biggest priority was that you have a book of business that where your clients share your values, where you can go deep and broad, but not have to stay on the surface. And you were very intentional about how and how fast you wanted to grow. But a question for you, how has all the experiences that you've had in your life play a role in how you work with your clients and serve them today? Yeah. So that's, I think, part back to what you said about how every experience you have is really kind of makes up this tapestry and has an impact on what you do. There's nothing that I would change and everything has really contributed to how I work with clients now. I love to work with clients on their taking that human capital and their career potential and their equity compensation and their complex benefits. I had that, right? And my a lot of our wealth that we had built as a couple was from our own equity compensation from big companies. You know, now I get to work with these women and couples who are high achievers, they lead hectic lives. They're very similar to me. <laughs> and they're always juggling family and career. And they have complicated, they have a lot going on. So what I'm able to do is really take that experience and love and translate it into a really great experience where they're kind of outsourcing, not just financial assets, but also a lot of the hard decisions. Like I, I have this you also, yes, you also go into helping them make career decisions. Yes, I'll tell you an amazing story um, about a client that I just work with. We're gonna we're gonna call her Rose. So she had a former colleague who'd been reaching out to her to join his firm, and there was a part of her that was interested in pursuing it, but she'd been so comfortable. She had recently been promoted. She'd been there for fifteen years. You know, she, she was comfortable, and she'd never negotiated before. She didn't want to rock the boat. She was kind of content to just enjoy her role. But when we went through her whole financial picture and her vision, and we did this full comparison between you know, the current versus potential employer, she sort of felt like, okay, at least I should see what they're offering because it would be taking on more responsibility and making more of an impact in her industry. So I, I really, I helped her walk through what her stock and options were worth, what was the cost of walking away, and what would the be the difference between each facet of the new job. So including like a 401k match and her pension benefits. So it really empowered her as she negotiated for more at the new firm. And then after several rounds of negotiation that I was prepping her for, she ended up with this package that was worth more than 50% what she'd been making. And then you're never going to believe this. The icing on the cake was that because of there was a very slight reorg at her company, I encouraged her to ask for a severance package. She was not on the chopping block at all. It was a very slight reorg. So it it took a bit of wrangling to do, but she walked away with severance and she was able to recoup the stock incentives that we thought that she'd lose by leaving. (laughs) 
so at one point, that's amazing. Yeah, she, she's updating me at this with the good news, and she's like, you know, I, I think you might even be more excited about this than I am. <laughs> and there's a part that's of me, fabulous. You know, there's just I am, and I love being. Able and so to, you're to getting to kind of wrap everything you love to do into your role as a financial advisor. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, we're running out of time. What's next for you? And then. I'd like you to give the audience one piece of advice in terms of how you go about success or to help them make big decisions. Yeah. So I would say as far as what's next, I, I'm a little nervous to answer and like tempt fate after all the, <laughs> the, the, the hard balls that have been thrown. But I would say my focus now is really on growing my pack, my practice, filling the bus with the right clients. I may hire like a para planner or a junior advisor in the future, but it's too soon to know. I just know that I'm open to evolving and I encourage feedback from my clients so that you know if there's any new iteration or service offering that I'm serving them best. So to TBD. And as far as a piece of advice, I would say you don't want to go through this alone. Building a business is not for the faint of heart. And there's so many times where you can get discouraged and the isn't helpful. So I would say find a mentor or coach, but preferably multiple mentors and a coach. Because having quality people in your corner who've been through this experience, it's so helpful, <laughs> not just for the practical advice, but also for the encouragement and, and the mindset help that you can get. So I, you know, I try to keep all my mentors from my past experiences and nurture those relationships by giving them gratitude and thoughtful gifts when it's appropriate. You know, there's a lot of research and a lot you can get from Michael Kitsis. He has a blog and a podcast. I think you could call him like the father of financial planning. And sometimes I would reach out to a particularly interesting advisor and just a consultant, and it would start this fruitful relationships. I would say have a lot of people in your court be open to relationships because it's all the, these questions are going to come up, you know, especially at the beginning with messaging and copy and all of that. But even now, as I'm working on digital marketing, having multiple sounding boards so that I'm not leaning on the same people all the time, it's really, really helpful. I love that. I love that. And the other thing I would say as we wrap up is let yourself evolve. Michelle is not trying to control the future. She's trying to listen and hear and let her experiences dictate where she's really meant to go. And I love that. Michelle, thank you for being on the call today. You are amazing. I've always loved working with you and coaching you. And I can't wait to hear what your next journey becomes. So yeah, thank you so, all. Sure. For more information, visit femexadvisor.com. And love to have you on our next podcast. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Femex Advisor Podcast with Adri Miller-Heckman. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available and connect with Adri on LinkedIn. To learn more, visit Adri's website at femexadvisor.com. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Femex Advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.